Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jonathan Busfield, and here, as always, my co-host, John Cuna. Today, we have an exciting interview. We're interviewing Nathan Baugh. Nathan started a company, a sports media company called Sideline Sprint. Uh, he's also one of my favorite followers on Twitter, uh, in case anyone wants to check him out. I believe it's at Nathan Baugh. Uh, sorry, at Nathan Baugh 27 on Twitter. Nathan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Nathan, on you know, on Twitter, it says you cover the intersection of sports and psychology, and I just wanted to start by getting a little bit more information uh, about why and sort of what that means to you. Great question. So, for me, one of the biggest things with sports is I look at like the top performing athletes and what they do differently, and a lot of it strikes me as very similar to what either top performing professionals, CEOs, investors whatever the case may be, it's, it's very similar. Uh, so digging into kind of how that like echelon of people thinks, how they operate um, is fascinating. And it's something that I just really enjoy writing about. That's awesome. What, what are the things, so when it comes to, I know one of your favorite threads, I mean, on Twitter, you're someone I consider sort of a master of the, of the Twitter thread, which is something with, you know, not to brag about my 41 followers, Johnny, but I have not mastered the Twitter thread yet. Uh, it's something I aspire uh, to, to doing at some point. One of the threads you had was on uh, sort of uncovering, you know, maybe taking a deep dive. And I know you put a ton of time into uncovering you know, out of the 0.002% or 0.2% of athletes that do end up playing pro, you know, what are they doing that kind of maybe leads to that or correlates with them becoming a professional? So, that was one thread that I found really fantastic. How do you decide, you know, what are the topics um, to, to dig deep and, and dive deep into before you actually make one of those threads? Good question. For anybody out there who doesn't know what a Twitter thread is, quick background. Um, essentially, it's just a series of tweets put together. Uh, it's more of like a blog style format. Uh, they're really popular right now. If you're not on Twitter, definitely check them out. Good place to learn from different people. Um, but I guess the idea for that one came specifically from, I was watching the Monday night football game. And then afterwards, an interview that Derek Carr did that I thought was really poignant was he spent the entire two minutes with, you know, millions of people watching him just completely praising a teammate's effort, a teammate who doesn't usually kind of get that limelight. And he gave it all to him, a teammate that had really stepped up that game. And I think that, for his teammates there um, that makes them really ready to run through a wall for car. Uh, they're very appreciative of that. But then at the same time, it shows everybody else on his team. Okay. He called out Zay Jones this game. What can I do next game to be there? And he gave specific examples of what Jones did shows up 6am for practice. He's always there. So his other teammates are going to want to do that down the line uh, just so they can be seen in that same point of view. And that gave me the idea for the thread, and then I just kind of dug into it, ran with it. That's awesome. No, one might say he uh, Carr is the anti Kyrie Irving with with that sort of calling positive calling out of a teammate, as opposed to maybe throwing them under the bus. So I, I'm always fascinated. So Nathan, I know you started the sideline sprint. Uh, it's, you can people listening can go find this at sidelinesprint.com. It's a new a sports newsletter uh, that they can subscribe to and have it sent by email. It's instantly become one of my favorite reads. I, you know. Contrary to most things that come across our, our inbox, I actually enjoy seeing it. It kind of like makes it, it lightens me up a little bit. I see it. And I'm like, all right, this is a guaranteed 
10 minutes to consume some stuff that I find interesting um, as opposed to most email these days, which is the opposite. So I always find it really fascinating because a lot of stuff these days seems to be you know, video driven and or podcast driven or both. What made you decide um, to you know, either focus on a, on a news, email newsletter or start with an email newsletter as part of your sports media company? Really good question. Uh, a couple of things. So I see media kind of lives on two different spectrums, mm-hmm. uh, specifically within sports. I would say zero to one, zero being all free advertising driven media, one being all paid. And in sports right now, you're seeing a big shift to paid. You got ESPN Plus, that's their main product. ESPN is becoming more of a streaming service than like a sports news company. Uh, you have SI Plus, you have The Athletic, a uh, huge success there. Um, so generally, kind of broad sense, a lot of things are moving to paid. So that's why we went with free. So you sign up for free, you'll get every day for free. We'll never charge you for anything. And then the other spectrum would be kind of another zero to one. Okay, zero being all information all the time. So let's say zero is the athletic. They put out incredibly high value content. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to take you a while to read. You're going to pay for it. And they pay really high quality journalists to write that. I think it's a pretty niche company that's grown really quickly, showing that there's kind of market for that section, but it's for like big sports fans. Like if you're a casual fan, you're not, you're not paying for the athletic. Mm-hmm. And then you have kind of the 10, which is entertainment, all entertainment based. Think Barstool. Yep. Again, massive success. What they put out, you're probably not going to learn a lot from it, but it's going to make you laugh. <laughs> it's going to make you smile. It's going to be a little controversial, mm-hmm. but it's going to draw a ton of eyeballs to it. Um, so you kind of have those two spectrums. So what I thought was, okay, in sports media, let's try and do a contrary. Let's be a zero. Let's be advertising base so it's free for folks to actually read and then when it comes to the spectrum informative to entertainment let's be a five um kind of split the difference there when you think about sports there's not really much that's you know witty but also insightful Mm -hmm. it's kind of one or the other Uh, so we want to be both and we think that kind of the younger generation uh is really drawn to that style of writing and content we want to start with the newsletter specifically because it's such a great way to just build a relationship with an audience. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not many places where you just send an email and people can reply. We get replies every single day, especially if we mess something up, they'll be like, Oh, you know, this was actually this stat or whatever. Um, But that's pretty cool that you get to build a relationship with readers. We can ask some questions and results be trivia every day. Just kind of make it fun like that. I thought newsletter was the best place to start. That that's awesome. I think, you know, one thing I want to find out more about is what led you to start the sideline sprint. You know, I think John, John and I started Riser and Tread in 2019, and you know, we we know even before getting to the point where we both partnered up to start that, there was a whole stretch of years where we were doing things that kind of fed into what Riser and Tread ended up becoming. And it's never as easy, you know, as as it might look from the outside. And so I'm always fascinated by, you know, what someone who founds a, a, you know, a sports media company and you talk about bootstrapping that, which to me just all I think is how much hustle and time and energy and focus and dedication goes into making something what it is and what it's going to become. I'm always fascinated by what led them to get to that point and 
you know, what they were overlapping or still are overlapping in terms of the, the timeline of a company, because sometimes you have to do things as a side hustle first um, before it becomes kind of your main thing. And when to make the choice to switch to it being the main thing is always, always very delicate. So uh, I'll let you kind of roll with this. So what was the, the kind of origin of Sideline Sprint and what was the timeline in terms of, you know, have you overlapped another career or other things, or is this the main thing now, or, or where does that stand? I graduated from Clemson University right before COVID. Mm -hmm. So I went into consulting, um, one of the consulting firms afterwards. And essentially, you're working 70, 80 hours a week. It's just a complete grind. And I loved keeping up with sports before. And it just didn't have time for it. So just completely fall off the board. Um, so I was looking for something like Morning Brew or The Skim or something where it's like, with four to five minutes in my inbox where I could be up to date on sports. Uh, and I didn't really find anything that stuck with me. I tried a couple of different things, but just they, they weren't quite right uh, for what I wanted. So I was like, you know what? This is an opportunity here. I've always been somebody that wants to build things. I was very much uh, feeling that, I guess, urge to do so. As a consultant, we don't really get to do that. Uh, a lot of PowerPoint decks. So I decided to go for it. And been doing it for about six, seven months now. I started to get some traction through Twitter. Um, I can write very punchy, little pithy things, the eyeballs on it, and then kind of follow through with like really good content behind that. And that plays really well on Twitter. It's probably the best place to grow a newsletter right now. Um, we've had some success with cross promotions and other uh, similar size newsletters with people that put out really good content as well. So those are two um, main growth avenues and we're taking it from there. That's awesome. So how would you describe the, the long-term vision of sideline sprint, you know, uh, in terms of what you, you know, what you hope it evolves into as you continue to go down this path? Yeah. It's going to center around uh, the main newsletter for now. We have close to 6,500 subscribers on there. So wow. that's great. We're shooting for 10,000 by the end of the year as a goal. Nice. Um, we'll start to monetize it at some point here in Q4. Um, we haven't yet because full-time jobs, you can only really do a couple of different things. You can grow it. You can write the content. Uh, those two absolutely have to get done. You have to do them well to keep people around. And the third thing is selling, monetizing, making ads. So we recently partnered with somebody who's going to risk going to outsource the ad side of it. Um, so that's great. So we should be able to have a little bit of money to actually grow it through paid soon, which will be wonderful. Uh, we have considered taking on capital, but we're not sure if we're going to at um, some point or not. We know folks in the industry who have had a lot of success doing that. We've talked to them. They kind of encouraged it, um, but we'll see if it's right for us. Um, and then down the line, once we get to, say, 100,000 subs, give or take, you can kind of start thinking about other verticals for newsletters um, and sports. I think you have uh, sports betting, sports business, you have women's sports, you have esports, and those are kind of the four different verticals that I would think to do outside of kind of the general sports newsletter. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think those would be every day, probably twice a week. Uh, and go from there, keep it within newsletters for a while, but then you I mean, you're starting to see newsletter companies branch out into podcasts, into 
TikTok, Instagram, wherever they want to go, they're really able to drive that audience um, through the newsletter. So, yeah. Do you actually do you want to do a podcast um, at some point? That that some of your threads seemed. We actually made a podcast episode out of out of the thread that was about the, um, you know, the the point zero two percent of athletes that go pro and what you kind of found. You know, that thread was such a great conversation for us to turn into a podcast because each player. You know, it's un- the light you shed on each player in that thread was very unique in terms of what it means uh, to be a professional athlete and what leads to success and a lot of interesting things. So, uh, it seems tailor made for a podcast. Is that something you guys want to do someday? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, right now, it's it's all about focus. Is it's hard to excel at a bunch of different mediums, but down the line, definitely do a podcast. Nice. Yeah, there's always a lot of things going on. That's something that Jotham and I definitely. Um, continue to try to manage and stay focused on having all of the different things and avenues of places that you want to do. I think old school ways of trying to access people are rapidly changing. And I think um, trying to find different and creative ways to um, to access people and to get information to them is always sort of an ongoing thing. Um, and it's always nice talking to another person who has an idea and has the courage to kind of go out there and, make, and sort of, this is something that we need to make a change and actually takes the steps to go out there and do that. So, um, and that's been great being able to learn more about it. I kind of want to switch gears a little bit. One of the things that Jotham and I talk a lot of, and we're pretty big Boston fans. And so we talk about the difference of being like both a therapist and being a fan. Sometimes those, sometimes those don't really go together. Um, I think you manage those roles better than I do. I think when, when my fan hat's on, I, uh, kind of let loose a little bit too much sometimes <laughs> it's ingrained in me yeah. it depends if it's the bruins playing i get pretty irrational okay. yeah. uh, or you know your soccer fandom or a soccer don't, fandom yeah nathan just don't bring up um messy around Lionel messy around him or else you're just yeah. gonna get it volleyball spiked back in your face yeah no we all know ronaldo's better so we don't have to go down <laughs> that road um but i'm really kind of curious to hear your thoughts on fandom as a whole and being a fan what it means how does it intersect with like social media and and places like that i'm really kind of curious to hear what your thoughts are of that because it's a fascinating topic that i don't think i don't hear too many other people talking about it but it's definitely something that it, it that's there so i'm just kind of curious to hear your thoughts around it that's yeah, a great question uh first of all congrats your red Sox looking really good knock on wood oh, we're superstitious yeah. around easy. here Nathan. yeah easy easy <laughs> yeah. knock on wood right now i don't know how many more grand sl- how many more grand slams you guys got coming. oh yeah. i know uh, it's wild <laughs> so congrats on that but um on the fandom question it, it's a great question i think with so when you look at I kind of like, I'm a very data-driven person. So looking at just sheer social media following numbers, I think is a good place to see kind of where fandom is going. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all player-driven. Cristiano Ronaldo, most followed person on Instagram, he's got like 300 million people on there. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Um, so it just, it just speaks to people are starting to follow players more than they follow teams. Mm-hmm. Um, there are exceptions, I think, Boston people are likely exceptions. You guys have fantastic sports town. Um, but the vast majority of the U.S. kind of as a country doesn't necessarily have like a fantastic sports team. It's very rare that you have the Red Sox, the Bruins, the Patriots all in the same city. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can talk about New York or L.A. or Chicago or some of these other massive, massive cities having the same thing. Um, but for folks who aren't from those places, it's really following these players. Uh, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. 
probably the city with the most Steph Curry fans simply because he's from Charlotte. Yep. Grew up in mm-hmm. Davidson. Um, so it's all going player driven. Uh, I think that's going to continue to be a trend. I think that's why people, uh, leads like the NBA are doing so well. Um, they do a great job of highlighting their players uh, on social media through the, the broadcast, things like that. I think it's really powerful for them. Then you look at uh, startup leagues like Premier Lacrosse League. Um, they've done a fantastic job of using media to highlight their players. And they're one of the fastest growing leagues in the world um, because of how well they've done their media. And a lot of that is player driven. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I mean, we're always fascinated by, you know, I think the combination of social media and fandom um, is a pretty can be a dangerous combination. You know, just because you know you put the fan hat on, and yes. especially guys, I feel like with testosterone tend to let loose a little bit with their emotions and kind of let it fly, uh, not necessarily thinking rationally. And then when you combine that with Twitter, you know, or social media being what we consider an extension yeah. of the self, you know, something that almost gives a false buffer um to people that allow gives them a a false sense of security and maybe a, a platform to be able to say things or do things that they wouldn't normally do because they feel uh that extension from themselves gives them a false sense of safety behind that and it can lead to a lot of dangerous things i mean i think we've seen that ha- how have you dealt with have you i'm guessing you had some kind of twitter trolls uh you know like everybody does how have you managed to deal with that i I, it's a great question. First of all, the, there's very much a, it's very easy if you have, you know, a certain number of followers or your profile picture isn't your face. Like it's very easy to be anonymous and just say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely gotten some of it, not, not a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, most of it, I just go in and I hit mute and I never see it again and it doesn't really bother me. Uh, so that's just, you know, if you are on social media, just mute the person mm-hmm. and you'll never hear from them again. And there's a lot more, I would say, positive people out there than negative people. Um, so that's really, really promising to see. And if somebody does comment and it gets some likes or whatever, you can just go back and look at the original post. Like, All right. A lot more people agreed with me than agreed with you. Mm-hmm. And you just try to move on. And it's okay. And I think for, for athletes, uh, most of them handle it really, really well. And they probably do something similar or I'm sure they have some kind of social media manager that goes in and just blocks people who are being jerks for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do see some trying to get into it. I think KD is the classic example of he has no qualms holding back. And he'll just <laughs> roast people on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, and that's how he does it. And, and it works for him. So I think people figure it out and realize it's not, not a big deal. Yeah, it's an interesting topic because it's a new one, right? Like we've we've seen these we've seen these players using their social media platforms to promote themselves, brands, whatever it happens to be. It's this whole new world and the trolls sort of come in and yeah, I think most teams have some sort of social media manager of like here's how you interact, here's how you don't interact and some players listen and some players don't. Um particularly KD, uh David Price was another example um of someone who didn't really follow uh, that and got kind of sucked down the rabbit hole. And I think there's, you know, when you've got a, like Cristiano Ronaldo, who has essentially the every person in the United States following him, right? Uh, equivalent. 
um, managing that seems like such a difficult thing. And I'm just curious as to if you have thoughts about where where you feel like this progression is going and do you what, what pitfalls do you see this for individual athletes specifically having these big platforms to reach millions of people? There's uh, There's obviously massive benefits for them to be able to use platforms for change, for social justice, for advocacy, for themselves, right? I'm really kind of curious. I'm always curious because we have this really terrible way of finding the middle. Um, we always sort of go from one polar opposite to the next. And I'm just kind of curious where you see potential pitfalls are for, for, for athletes um, with, with this new wave of social media as their platform. Yeah. Uh, my mind immediately goes to Naomi Osaka, the tennis player, recently dropped out of a couple major tournaments, I think. French Open, Wimbledon, uh, a lot due to mental health, wanting to take a step back from tennis. Her thing was more with the media actually at the tournaments and the questions that they would ask and kind of the pressure put on those athletes there. Uh, I do think we see similar things across social media. You see, I mean, she, she's probably the best example right now of just an athlete that's needed to take a step back and has gone ahead and done that for herself. Um, but I would not be surprised at all to see um, that trend a little bit more where athletes do take, you know, a couple months and they just kind of disappear for a while um, to get away from all of it. Yeah. It feels like we're heading towards like a recalibration, right? Like it does. You see Naomi was one, obviously Simone Biles for a, a, additional reasons as well, but you're seeing more and more athletes kind of coming out and kind of pushing back. I think it, it sort of, you know, it comes with pros and cons, right? Having access to people, but then people having access to you, right? And you can mute it. You can try to wave it out, but when you've got millions of people following you, of course, you're going to hear the noise. Um, you know, and 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, athletes would show up, they'd perform, they'd maybe have a little bit of media battle in the press conferences, and then they'd go home, right? Now you've just got 24-7 potentially like abuse from random people like Jotham was saying, who just feel empowered because they don't have to stand in front of you and say what they want to say. Um, and it does seem like we're kind of heading towards there. Uh, you know, th Jotham and I have talked a lot about this in, in some earlier previous podcasts about this, but I'm curious, like, do you see a, a middle ground here? Do you see avenues or places that you think would be great, whether it's through, you know, uh, social media avenues or platforms like things like you're trying to do or um, sports pieces that way? Like, where do you see the middle being in, in this? Have you guys heard of Overtime? It's another sports media startup. That sounds familiar. So I haven't, no. Quick, quick background. Overtime started a couple, three, three four years ago. Uh, they're backed by a ton of people. Uh, KD is one of the backers. Uh, venture raised, worth like $800 million. Uh, They're doing a really great job. I listened to actually their, fan, their, one, their founder, Dan Porter, he had a very interesting perspective that I would expect to be seen more and more in media. And specifically what they do, they're huge on TikTok, huge on Instagram. They recently just started their own basketball league, actually, for high schoolers. Um, anybody listening, check it out, Overtime Elite. Uh, they have Kevin Ollie, the former Utah basketball coach, as uh, doing like leading all the basketball operations. They're really interesting stuff. Uh, but back to kind of the mental health topic, what he said is when they were originally starting out, they were going to put out zero content that was negative towards any athlete. And they've stuck to that 
And it's led them to, that's just one pillar of their content strategy. It's, it's always positive. And it's always focused on the person, you know, making the move or doing the dunk or whatever, not the person uh, who had to step back for whatever reason, who got dunked on, who just looked like a fool for some reason. It's always positive. Uh, they now have, over time on TikTok, has more followers than the NBA, more followers than the NFL or the Premier League. And a lot of it, I think, is due to people know that it's going to be positive content. And positive content keeps people coming back to it um, instead of just being like a clickbait negative article that you know Bleacher may put it out or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really positive trend. And to see them be successful with that strategy is awesome. Uh, it's something that at Silent Sprint we're trying to do. You hopefully you notice most of it is very positive towards athletes and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a, a great way for media to go about it, um, specifically on social media. Um, I, I don't think there's any way to necessarily avoid the trolls, uh, but hopefully, you know, kind of mass market media starts moving towards that more positive side of things. Yeah, that's such a great point. I think one of one of the things we're seeing more and more as like social media is like it's not going anywhere, obviously, um, of people like really pushing back a little bit right now. I mean, all the, the things that kind of came out from Facebook a few about a month ago was a something we already sort of knew, uh, but then we now we know, um, and people now pushing back and talking a lot. Even influencers talking a lot about really trying to put out more positive content and really focusing on who you follow and is it is are they are the follows something that are making you feel a little bit better or empowered or thought provoking uh, and not thinking about these in these negative ways. And so th- that's a really great recommendation for anyone listening to, to add that to their follow um, for good content and some positivity. We, we get bombarded with the opposite all the time. Um, it's nice to know that there are companies out there, yours included, that are trying to reshift that paradigm a little bit. So that's great. Very true, especially because, you know, we've talked a lot in po- uh, past episodes about how, you know, the human brain is really conditioned to towards right. negativity and when that sort of combines with a collective uh, kind of movement on social media, I think there's a compounding effect that happens where, it, you know, the media takes on uh, all the individual's slants towards negativity and it uh, combines into this like, you know, uh, tornado of negativity that just uh, bombards people and and their brains are going to uh, latch on to the negative stuff a lot stronger than they are the positive stuff. So we, we need as, m- as many positive sources as we can out there to try to counteract that uh, that tidal wave. So I think it's great that what you're doing, and we definitely encourage everyone to check out Overtime Elite. I'm going to check that out. Um, I've always been a Kevin Ollie fan. I kind of followed him from the UConn days. So mm-hmm. um, that's fantastic. I I don't envy the. I mean, one of the things, John, um, and you know Nathan, for in our past a- episodes, we've talked a lot about how difficult it must be for pro athletes. I think a lot of times we see whether it's you know fans just having a fan hat on or people just not understanding their experience they they often kind of give the whole yeah but they're rich so it should be fine or that kind of thing where they don't really take time to maybe show a little empathy and hop in their shoes and try to understand like what what would this be like i don't envy i would never want to be a professional athlete based on what they have to deal with it, if only just looking at social media and what it's like to have to uh, be on there and try to be a brand and it's like sort of what you have to do these days and yet it must cause challenges about how to stay humble. You know, one example that comes to mind is um, part of that thread we mentioned earlier that you put on Twitter about uh, starting with Derek Carr. And I think the second athlete was Alex Caruso. And we've talked about that a lot because I think, you know, when people are really great athletes and they're told they have to be a brand and they're told from a very young age that they're the best thing ever, um, 
it has to impact uh, them psychologically and it has to impact their sense of self to, to, a, to a level where it must be hard to actually maintain an accurate and unbiased perspective of what's needed to get to the next level. And it makes me think of, of the G League with Alex Caruso saying, hey, what I see is these people come in and you know they, they need to know their role in order for, to make it from G League to, to pros, but they think they're supposed to prove that they're the star. And I think it must be, that's one thing that sticks out to me, that it must be really hard for, for these talented athletes to stay humble uh, and stay hungry and grounded in a way that's going to actually get them to the next level, sort of like Alex Caruso showed. Yeah, no, his, his story is fantastic. He was with the Oklahoma City Thunder at the time uh, when he was talking about all this. And his whole thing was the, the Thunder at the time had Russell Westbrook and they had Victor Oladipo. Uh, two of the best guards in the NBA. So Caruso was like, as a point guard, they don't need me to go score 25 points a game. They're paying Russell Westbrook $30 million a year to do that. Like, it doesn't matter if I score 25 in the G League. So he talked to Sam Presti, their GM. He's like, all right, what'll make me stand out? And Presti was like, it's your decision-making and it's your defense. So that's what Caruso focused on. He became one of the best passers in the NBA, sets up all the plays, runs them correctly. And then his defense, he went from, in his words, an average defender to a guy that could go head to head with Westbrook and maybe hold him to 25 a game instead of 35. Um, and that made him, you know, stand out. And he's become very, very successful uh, in the NBA. I mean, there's just a lot to learn there, um, both in athletics and then in all aspects of life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, John and I own Riser and Tread together, and I think we're always big proponents of, you know, main, staying humble and saying what do we have to do that's in the best interest of the team and the best interest of the company, and that that could be anything, right? Whether it's uh, doing a podcast episode, whether it's emptying the trash in an office or vacuuming, like we will do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter, and we have to switch gears. And I think staying humble is really, really key, um, and never getting too high on yourself, no matter what you're achieving. And that, that, I thought that was such a great thread because it really touched on that. I think some people struggle to to stay grounded and it costs them uh, big time. So um, we just to bring it back to Twitter a little bit because you have so many great threads and I notice you, um, you, know, you always promote some other people that have uh, amazing content on Twitter. Some of them are athletes, some of them are uh, business people, some of them are you know sort of academics or intellectuals. A lot of fascinating people. I've got I've I've picked up on several key follows just from seeing who you kind of retweet or who you like. Um, are there specific people on Twitter, Nathan, for you like either players or or non athletes um, that you would recommend people check out? So in sports, I would say uh, Nadamakin Sue mm-hmm. is fantastic follow on twitter he talks about whether it's playing for the buccaneers or his investing side of things uh that's one other thing i'm very interested in is like athletes becoming more and more uh of investors he's invested in i think three unicorn companies now so three startups worth over a billion dollars very impressive guy uh, definitely some benefits of going to nebraska he counts uh, warren buffett as a mentor they get coffee kind of once a quarter it sounds like so taking the dominicans to a follow and enjoyed following him uh joe pompliano great twitter content um he's been an early supporter of sideline sprint so very much appreciate joe and what he's doing with huddle up it's fantastic Uh, so those are the two i'd recommend in sports outside of sports sahil bloom great for 
really any kind of learning. He just digs into what he's curious about. I've gone to work with Sawhill some, gone to know him. Fantastic guy. He's a real deal. Uh, Blake Burge, somebody I met very early on Twitter, another really good guy. He's uh, really interesting. He's very big into like stoicism and philosophy. So all of his threads are going to be around that. So anybody interested in like uh, just mental models, where to get better, where to improve yourself, Blake's a good follow. Um, Those are the four I would recommend the most. Fantastic. We appreciate that. Um, One other question I wanted to ask you about. So John and I, obviously, we have this podcast where we take a look at mental health through the lens of sports. And it's been interesting. You know, we try to uh, shine a light on the athletes who have been vocal about their mental health journey in a way to kind of not only shine light on on that to reduce stigma, but also to give uh, almost to open a window to educate people. You know, we feel like especially young guys, but not just young guys, um, you know, want to learn about mental health and would benefit from learning about mental health. But the way in which they learn can sometimes be important. Uh, I think through the lens of sports is a much more approachable you know, less daunting kind of way to learn about mental health. So we're definitely passionate about that. And we've tried to, you know, touch on athletes that, again, share their own stories or, um, you know, have interesting things going on that relate to mental health in a way that we can uh, educate people about it. Kyrie Irving is someone who is a bit of an enigma. and we're, we're still trying to figure out where he stands. Uh, some days it seems like he's kind of a hero. Some days it seems like he's kind of a villain. Uh, what are your thoughts? Someone who, you know, obviously is a sp- huge sports fan, has a sports media company, Following the the ups and downs of Kyrie Irving, what are your thoughts on him in general in t- terms of how, how it relates to um, you know mental health? I think Kyrie, he, he's a first very complicated individual, obviously. Um, but I think that speaks to kind of a lot of us. We, we tend to look at these athletes and chatter drives them. It's like, you know, seems like a great guy or a terrible guy or girl, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's you, you can't really do that with anybody and i think tyree really speaks to that i mean the dude um when what happened with george floyd last summer he went and bought his mom a house he's donated millions of dollars to a lot of different charities and around brooklyn and around uh cleveland uh, has fed tons of people through the holidays and tons of gifts um but then at the same time you looked in I think last year he took off a couple of weeks for his mental health, uh, right around Christmas time, I believe. Um, so there's there's clearly something going on there. I don't think we we know what it is. He's he's a very private guy. I'm talking about the whole COVID vaccine and all that good stuff. Like he he put out one video and otherwise hasn't really addressed it to the media at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure he's spoken with his teammates and things like that, but it's, it's really hard to, to categorize him. I, I don't, I don't know what goes on in his head. I, I doubt really anybody does outside, outside of his very inner circle. He mm-hmm. seems pretty private. Um, it's such a, yeah, yeah, it is. And I, I think it shines light on one of the things that Jotham and I talk about. You know, when we bring up athletes and we talk about their experiences, we really try to make sure that we're not speculating, right? We have mm-hmm. no idea about these people. We have backgrounds, obviously, and and trained um we're, we're trained in sort of mental health and those types of things, but we're not diagnosing or working of like, well, these people are we don't know these people. We're really basing our information off of 
what they have shared with us. And Kyrie being a really private person makes it difficult. You just have his actions to sort of look at. And it is, it's complicated. Um, and one of the things you brought up that I think is really uh, an important topic is like the concept of labeling. I think, and especially in sports media, right? It's like, okay, we got to figure out who this player is so that we can put him in a box, right? And keep him there. And then if he tries to stray from it, that's a story, right? Like everything's about creating a label for this person and putting it there so that I can make a narrative about this person, whether it's based in fact or not. And, and, and I can only imagine how unbelievably difficult that must be for any athlete. I think one person that comes to mind too, who I have my <clears throat> ups and downs with as well. Uh, but LeBron James is a perfect example of, you know, he was the golden child since probably since he was like born, right? He's been being fed. You're the best. You're the best. You're the best. And I won't go there yet. Nathan, I'm not going to tell you he's the best <laughs> yet. I'm not, I'm not quite there yet, but it, you can easily argue that he is right. Um, but I think, you know, and for a long time, everybody hated him for no apparent reason, other than the fact that he was just like, great. And, well, the decision didn't help. Um, the decision was, a, was really misstep, it, right, and I think one. his only real misstep was that decision uh, taking it to, to to Miami was a real <laughs> was a tough one, right? And even him making a decision to go there isn't the problem, but the production of it and all these different things. And then for a while, there were even commercials about him, like you know, I've I've embraced the villain. Um, and I'm so curious if that's just him being like, I'm, I'm tired of hearing this from every single avenue. And so fine, I'm just going to accept it. And I'm curious if that's like an experience that that m most athletes or a lot of athletes go through of, you know, the public opinion or the public narrative becomes the internal one. And I, and I just see that as being such a difficult thing for athletes to try to manage. I'm just kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, it's, I put out a thread recently on sports books that kind of, recommend the very first one there is open by andre agassi I'm not sure if you guys have read it. it's an autobiography mm -hmm. um fan fantastic book and it goes into how he growing up he became kind of this golden child of tennis he was this guy long hair very charismatic incredibly talented won grand slams you know at the age of 20 uh, became kind of the face of the sport at such a young age uh, and I think what he talks about in that book, it, it really speaks to the question you're asking of these highs and lows and what you think of yourself from the public perspective. And even there, he talks about, you know, at some point he would be on top of the world, think he was, you know, exactly what the public said, this, you know, incredible athlete, superstar. And then other times he would be the lowest of lows where you know, couldn't really get out of bed. He really struggled to do kind of basic tasks. And I, I think it would be very hard as an athlete um, to see all these things talk about you and not be extremes over and over again, which I think would be um, pretty exhausting. So it kind of comes back to what we're talking about. Of if you're able to try to center yourself and stay humble, but that would be incredibly hard to do with all this noise around you right and then even trying to say something or to come up it's you're just going to get into this power struggle back and forth and it's really not going to do much of anything other than probably just feed into the negative narrative of yourself right and um it's it's a really fascinating con um conversation and you know i do in at riser and tread one of my one of my focuses is i do a lot of work with with athletes both all from professional level all the way down um to the, the junior leagues right or the the little kids so 
Um, and one of the biggest things that I see with with athletes across the board, from when they're starting to play the sport all the way up till their until the professional level, is this like separation of self and performance, right? Of they they're only as good as they can perform, right? And on a for someone who's not having millions and millions of followers, who maybe are constantly telling them that was a terrible performance or that was a great performance. I can only imagine that that's just a magnifying glass on that concept for athletes, um, specifically in the professional world, where probably, you know, again, speculating, but knowing that just based on the work that I've done and the experience of seeing that in majority of the athletes I work with, that this concept of like, I had a bad performance, so my mood is going to be heavily shifted for days sometimes afterwards. And if then I'm getting 10 million messages from people telling me that I suck and I'm terrible and that was the worst performance they've ever seen. I imagine that that, you know, that you know, talked about Andre in that hole or couldn't get out of bed or whatever it was. It just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and it's just such a fascinating concept. Um, just kind of curious to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah. I, and it, I think it's different in individual sports and team sports as well. Uh, I would and say individual sports would be a lot tougher when it came to a bad performance. Um, Andre Agassi with tennis, or you talk about boxing, different sports like that, a lot of the Olympic sports. Um, but when you look at team sports, I think you also, a lot of it will come down to the coach and how kind of the captains on the team and all that stuff uh, react to the loss. Um, so I, I would just think individual sports to be incredibly hard it's a lot more kind of internally driven i think to pull yourself out of that and be able to pick it up and move on and the best you know players in the world are the ones able to do that you look at roger federer he could play the best point of his life or completely miss hit a tennis ball and the next point you would have no idea which one it was because he's just the same all the time yeah yeah, having a short memory is is really key um, for high performing athletes and people you know who are performing in any kind of difficult uh, landscape, whether it's sports or, or non sports. Uh, Nathan, this has been fantastic. We really want to thank you for joining us. I want to encourage everyone out there to check him out on Twitter. It's at Nathan Baugh twenty seven. That's at Nathan B A U G H twenty seven. Uh, and as well to check out his uh, his sports media company, the Sideline Sprint, which is at sidelinesprint.com. And you could subscribe to get that newsletter. I definitely recommend it. Again, it's a uh, it's a bright spot in my inbox, which these days we don't have too many of. Um, Nathan, I have an idea for a Twitter thread that I'm going to put together in the next week or two. I'm going to I'm going to I might tag you in that just to get some feedback because I'm a rookie in this area, um, and we'll we'll see how it goes. And you can let me know what what works and what doesn't. Sound good? Yeah, absolutely. Do it. Fantastic, fantastic. So thanks again, Nathan, for joining us. And we want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Grim Drive Podcast for our, our uh, interview with Nathan Baugh. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, Nathan. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you.